Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio. And uh, I got with me today Leonardo McClarty, and he is with the Howard County Chamber of Commerce. Welcome, Leonardo. Oh, thank you, Lee, and for having me. And it's, uh, as we were talking prior to, it's it's been a long time and, and great to catch up and to be able to talk once again. That's right. You, um, I don't know if that was the beginning of your career, but I know a while ago you were at the DeKalb County um, Chamber of Commerce here in Atlanta. Was that your first chamber uh, leadership role? That was my first chamber leadership role, and uh, the Atlanta area is home for me. And so um, that was my first chamber role, but also one I've had the, the longest uh, tenure and that I was there almost 10 years after having also spent some time with uh, DeKalb County Economic Development and City of Roswell and State of Georgia and, as well. So how does uh, one get a career at entering the world of chambers? How did that uh, kind of work out for you? You know, you know it, it's really uh, interesting. A number of my peers, we come into this profession via a number of different channels. So in my case, I came in and that my background is, is economic development. And so I work in local government and economic development and where we always worked with chambers and alongside chambers. And so that was kind of how I ultimately made the transition. I have some of my colleagues that may have started out in banking and again, bankers and chambers often work closely together. I've had others that were in the not-for-profit arena and chambers are a not-for-profit. And so they were able to transition as they may have come from one nonprofit to another. Um, others may have been business owners that at one time served on the board of their local chamber and the executive position may have come about and they had time to ultimately serve in an acting capacity, which became permanent. So it's it's interesting in that it is all over the place in terms of how some of us uh, end up in these chairs. Now, one of the roles of the chamber, at least in Atlanta, I don't know, my my the lens of chambers is skewed, I think, from just being in Atlanta for so long. But it seems like there's kind of a, a pretty good relationship between the government, the chamber, the business community, the universities. Everybody tends to play pretty nicely together and working together. Is that unusual? Is that the goal? Is that what you kind of shoot for? That's a goal and what you shoot for. Certainly, I would say that at times it doesn't always work that way, but it's certainly what you shoot for. And and when I say it doesn't always work that way, um, so much depends on, um, in the, at the end of the day, the people. Um, it depends on, on the government side, who's in elected office, and in many respects, what's their opinion towards the business community. Also, it depends on sometimes who's the executive at a chamber and the role that they want to play in terms of public policy and economic and community development, and even in some respects, their role of, of government, or, or rather their views of government. And so, um, and I would say also lastly, in some respects, how the two can um, put perhaps past disagreements behind them and how do they move forward? Meaning if a policy is introduced that the chamber, as an example, does not agree with, how did they choose to disagree? And then ultimately, can that elected official put 
that difference of opinion aside and move forward and continue to work in an amicable uh, relationship. And so, so often as with so many people, so many things, it comes down to the people. Right. And, and people could have, um, you know, they can see the same thing and each have kind of differing opinions on how to get the objective that, you know, everybody wants good things for their community and their and their neighborhoods and their business, you know, all the constituents. It's just how you get there might differ dramatically. Right. And it's just how do you find the common ground that you can agree on what you can agree on and then just work together to make that as good as it can be? Absolutely. So now um, in your city, how has the pandemic um, kind of impacted what's going on there from a chamber perspective? Is it... Um, is your role shifted a little bit and kind of being uh, more supportive to these business owners? Like how, how has the the pandemic impacted what you're up to? So the, the pandemic certainly has, has impacted um, many of the things that we have traditionally done at the same time, it's probably cemented the things that we're responsible for, as well as I think sharing light on things that sometimes may be, perhaps went unnoticed. And so, for example, we have always sought to be a, a go-to place and information resource for our small businesses, for our community employers and, and so forth. And so, but yet what has oftentimes happened is chambers become more known in some respects for the events and the social gatherings that they have rather than maybe for the conferences, the seminars, the um, the advocacy or public policy role that we play. And so I think what this pandemic has allowed many of us to do is to really showcase how connected we are to our policymakers, to their staffers, and being able to get information quickly. And then I think the second piece to that is being able to decipher what does this information mean so that our small businesses can make sense of it and move forward with necessary decision-making and so forth. Now, um, in your community, when you have small businesses and they're just kind of struggling to stay alive, I think that um, getting involved with the chamber is an investment worth taking and making because it helps you in other ways that that you may not kind of appreciate until you're in a crisis like this. There's like, like you mentioned all the information, but it's also kind of the opportunity to have sounding boards, people that are going through similar things. There might be opportunities to kind of join forces in creative ways. It gives you access to folks that uh, might be difficult to get access to just through conventional means. Like, can you talk about that side of how important a chamber uh, membership is to a small to mid-sized business? No, absolutely. I, I think you really touched on it. Um, a, a, again, you know, with during this time for time period, really is a an investment as opposed to just an expense or or a cost. And I think the biggest thing is being able to help our small businesses see that. And so, as an example, take for instance when the PPP program was initially launched, as well as the um, the uh, economic injury disaster loans or the uh, EIDL or even idle loans, as some refer to it. You know, we have, as an example, from a chamber standpoint, at least at least a dozen or so CPA firms. And of those, probably three to four 
are regional in their um, their service area and so forth. And thus they bring a lot of, of knowledge with them. And so as a result, we were able to host a number of different webinars, but also just share various updates and links and newsletters as to what certain things meant when it was read within the legislation. We also were able to then bring in SBA uh, representatives that covered our area to again, be available to where our small businesses could ask them questions directly. We ended up hosting a couple of town halls with our elected officials where they had access to them directly. And so I think the fact that anytime you can go straight to the source to ask a question and not necessarily have to read someone's interpretation in say a newspaper or even on some of the blogs or what have you, uh, and especially if it ends up having maybe a political twist tied to it, all of that is vital. And then I think the other thing, just that whole support network, um, the fact to be able to know that you're not the only one that is going through this difficult time and to be able to hear from other business owners that have that are either going through this or in some respects that maybe were in business, say back in 2008, 2009, when the we had the, the economic downturn and they were able to come out on the other side. Well, how did you do it? How did you, because I, I think there's two big things that our small businesses have been dealing with during this pandemic. One is obviously the, just the pure analytics of running the numbers and what did the model say and constantly updating your your financials and looking at your revenue and your expenses. And I mean, you, you've got that side of it, but I think the other component is the whole mental state of what we're dealing with in the sense of outside of trying to run a business, but the worry that comes with uh, running a business, having to lay off employees, perhaps having family members that are, that have been laid off or furloughed or, or, or what have you. So that's been the other piece that I think ultimately the chamber provides that support net as well for just small businesses to come together to and actually have someone to maybe say, Hey, I've been there before. It's going to be okay. Now, um, the crisis has affected lots of businesses and the chamber is kind of in essence uh, a business and organization that you have a team members around. How have you been able to kind of make the adjustment with your folks and your team to help them kind of deal with this? Cause a lot, a lot of places had to go remote. A lot of people, this sometimes is the first time that that's occurred. You're used to meeting face to face. You're used to kind of, um, having these kind of uh, serendipitous collisions with people to get things done. And now everything is more kind of formalized and there's set times and meetings now that may have been more kind of casual in the past. How have you kind of uh, handled that adjustment? Well, we're in, in some respects are still adjusting and have had to do like many of our, our businesses. Um, you know, the first thing that we had to do was, you know, learn how Zoom worked and, and, and WebEx and some of these other platforms that now have probably become old hat to us. But we knew we had to quickly adjust that ultimately we, the, the one thing that I'm always thinking about as an association executive is, is how are we relevant? How are we adding value? And so the big thing was wanting to make sure that during this time crunch, we were 
continuing to add value. And so the first thing was, how do we take what might have been the traditional webinar or, or rather seminar and make it you know, an online meeting or webinar? So that was the first piece. But then the next thing we had to do was at times, how do you take a conference? For instance, in our case, we had a women's conference that was scheduled for the end of March. We had a cyber conference that was scheduled for June. And we had to figure out how can we make those events virtual as well? Well, the women's conference we ended up having in July as a virtual event that ultimately outside of a, you know, a couple of minor hiccups really was pretty uh, seamless. The cyber conference, ultimately we decided to just split up over the span of several months with a couple of sessions at a side and, and ultimately not have the conference in the way that we traditionally started and, and make it a seminar series. So it's been constantly just pivoting, um, learning new platforms. I think the biggest thing that we've had to learn, I would say specific to Howard County, but as an industry as a whole, is not to be afraid to take risk. That now is the time that, hey, everybody is learning how to use some of these platforms for the first time. And you make a mistake, you learn from it and you keep going, but you've got to just, you've got to continue to put one foot in front of the other. And that if you get paralyzed by the unknown and what you don't know, then nothing will happen and nothing will uh, transpire. And in our case, we will see members continue to, we'll see members drop and choose to spend their precious resources elsewhere. So you've got to continue to prove yourself as to, again, if, if things are tight, why do I continue to invest this $500, $600 with you um, when I could do something else with that money? Right. You have to keep continuing to kind of push the value to the members because some members, when they join the chamber, they think the value is going to be, oh, I go to that weekly face-to-face -face meeting or breakfast, and now you're telling me there's not going to be one. So how am I going to still get the value that I need in order to move the needle in my business? Um, so you're, you've adjusted by creating more online kind of virtual um, kind of gathering places in education. We have, and, and the next step for us, and we, I just had this conversation in a meeting this morning, and that was where we're now in the, the next, I would say evolution is continuing to really better understand the utilization of breakout rooms as an example of that feature. Also looking to, there are a couple of other platforms that are out that we're looking at that really allow for events to take place um, or, or rather that have networking take place in a much, um, I guess you could say informal uh, platform, for instance, for those that have used Zoom, you know, the Zoom allows for, for breakout rooms, but it, but the, the host of the meeting ultimately is the one that moves people in and out. Whereas there are a couple of other platforms that we're looking at that are specifically geared for events and networking and exhibits and so forth, which then people can move themselves in and out much the same as if you were at a traditional after hours event or happy hour where you have a conversation with someone and then when that conversation is over, you move and you have another conversation. And so that's the next step that we're looking at is how do we continue to really foster the networking aspect um, for those that are truly social creatures and that 
for these last several months have been difficult because maybe they work in business development, maybe they work in sales or client relations, and they haven't been able to have as much social interaction as they're accustomed to. Now, um, in your work uh, with Chambers uh, throughout your career, any advice for that person the first time they take a leadership role at a chamber? Like, what does your first kind of 30, 60, 100 days look like when you're taking on leadership for the first time? I think when you're taking on leadership for the first time is is certainly um, learning your community and, and particularly um, in the event that maybe it's a new community, but, but learning a community, um, sitting down with your board of directors and asking them, maybe asking them to give you a list of three to five people they need to, that, that they, in their eyes, they feel that you need to know. And then from there, asking them to facilitate introductions. Certainly there'll probably be some similar names that you, that will come about from all of them, but asking them to help you with those introductions, I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is obviously moving forward with those introductions so that one, you can demonstrate that if someone makes an introduction that you're gonna act upon it you know, within 24, 48 hours so that they start knowing that they can trust that you'll act upon recommendations and, and so forth. Um, I think the second thing is listening. Um, as you go out and meet these various people, ask a lot of questions, um, but more so ask questions and, and then listen with the, with the whole idea of taking notes and, and not necessarily um, offering, I guess, maybe a, a ton of opinions and, unless you've perhaps grown up in that community and you already know who the players are, then maybe that puts you in a slightly different place, but use that time to listen. And then um, I think from there, you know, do that the first easily 30, 60 days. And then probably by 90 days, you're able to take all that you have learned, all that you've gleaned, and then be able to start seeing what are the common themes here in terms of the, be able to form that, that work of action. Um, because again, you'll start seeing some things. I, I think the other thing besides the community is doing something similar with the members themselves, having an open door policy where you actually are asking to have meetings and sitting down and hearing what their thoughts are, what their membership experiences are. I started something here as an example, when I came to Howard County, I was new to Maryland, was new to Howard County. And so I started something called Coffee with the President. And the whole idea behind it was just to be able to listen and ask members, why did you join the chamber? What events do you like? What don't you like? What can we do better? Um, and just start to see if there's some common themes. And then from there, you can build your, your plan of action. Now, um, is there any kind of initiatives you're working on for the young folks? Because there's a, a kind of a, a lot of chaos for young people, especially there, there's a lot of uncertainty you know, their college has been kind of changed in a lot of ways. Recent graduates, their first jobs have kind of changed in a lot of ways. Is there anything that your chamber is doing in order to kind of help that young professional get off on the right foot as best they can during these chaotic times? So we have a program ourselves called our, our Young Professionals Network. Now, I will say it's geared more so towards the the younger professional and not necessarily someone that may be in college or what have you, but certainly someone that may be 
new out of college and that might still be in that first job or it could even be their second job. But we cover a lot of these um, related content. So for instance, we just did something last week. We had a program that was, I think it was something, I forgot the exact title, but it was related to how to navigate um, in terms of fostering your career and career development and um, how do you move ahead? And so we had, for instance, um, I think we had two, we had one guy that currently runs our um, small business incubator and innovation center, but who has been a serial entrepreneur. We had him involved. We had another guy that currently owns a, that's a managing director of a company. We had another person that's a senior level and they just shared with them insights as to how they further their career tips and do's and don'ts. We've had a number of programs. We, as a matter of fact, we actually call it Celebrate, which is a play on the word Accelerate. So again, how do you accelerate your career growth? And everything that we talk about in Celebrate is related to career development, moving forward, do's and don'ts. We've touched on everything from social media and as we've called it, what you don't know, what you don't know can get you fired. And so trying to get people cognizant that what you post, how you post it, where you post it, all of those different things now sometimes can come with a cost. We've talked about how do you find your why? Um, how do you deal with change? You know, certainly we in this marketplace here, the merger and acquisitions that are taking place is continues to be hot and heavy, particularly in the government contracting space. And so if you're 22, 23 years old, how do you deal with the fact that maybe my boss used to sit down the hall for me and then my company gets sold and now my boss is two time zones over? How do I deal with that? Um, you know, and, and maybe that lack of accessibility or the fact that maybe I have earlier phone calls or later phone calls to allow for the time zone difference. So those are a number of things that we do as a chamber to try to, um, to help with our younger professionals. Now, uh, what do you need more of right now um, in your role? Is Do you need more kind of enterprise-level support and sponsorship? Uh, do you need more kind of members to kind of opening up their mind to the benefits and the ROI they're going to get from being a member of the chamber? Uh, how can we help you? Yeah, I would say, uh, interestingly enough, it's it's a little bit of both. Um, and that the the sponsorships for us is, is certainly always is key. Um, and And... We, we always are looking at, at sponsors. We've um, now started, you know, creating packages that are different from the traditional. You know, we've always had the, whether it was the luncheon or the conference sponsorship, that was, again, your more traditional sponsorship built around meeting in person to where now we're offering sponsorships in a virtual platform where you can be a virtual sponsor or we're doing things where, as an example, part of that exposure might be, uh, the virtual background. And so as an example, I may be sitting here on a screen, but behind me on the screen is the various uh, uh, small business entities, their, uh, their corporate logos, what have you, or maybe they're being able to introduce certain speakers, but certainly the sponsorship piece is always going to be important. But at the same time, we're a membership organization, so we can, we can never have too many members. And I think the important part there is whether it's the supply chain side of our corporate members that are looking for small businesses to, to be able to utilize, or if it's just other small businesses looking to support other small businesses, um, 
we can never have too many members, that that's the lifeblood of the organization that helps to shape and frame our thoughts, whether that's in a public policy realm or whether that's in the programs that we choose to offer. Um, so those are something that uh, we can never have too many of. And if somebody wanted to learn more about opportunities to join or to um, sponsor, what's the website? Uh, the website is uh, www.howardchamber.com. And so they can visit our website. They can also always email me. I'm pretty responsive. Uh, my email address is L McClarty, which is basically my first name, last name, the last name being M-C-C-L-A-R-T-Y at howardchamber.com. I'm certainly always happy to uh, to talk to anyone that express interest. They can follow us on social media between LinkedIn or, or Twitter um, as well. And so we're, we're pretty active there also. Good stuff. Well, it was great uh, chatting with you, Leonardo. Congratulations on all your success and thank you. And we appreciate the work you're doing. Hey, thank you, Lee, for, for having me. And, and also want to just thank you for shining a, a spotlight on the work that we do as, as Chamber of Commerce executives, as well as um, overall association executives. Um, just really one quick thing. This is something that maybe listeners may not know. Uh, you know, this time it, it's been really interesting for us because on the one hand, we've been helping our members, our small businesses, et cetera, but yet we haven't been eligible for some of the federal programming as well. And so I think one of my colleagues um, used the analogy of, it's like us being able, we're offering others life rafts, but we can't use that same life raft ourselves. And so, um, so thank you for just bringing attention to us and the work that we're doing in our respective communities and industries. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And um, I'm sure we'll, our, crowds will, our paths will cross again. All right. Likewise. Thank you. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.